like you to think for just a moment about the eye. You know, the eye really is an incredible organ. I am not an ophthalmologist or an optometrist, so please correct me uh, after the service if I've uh, said something wrong. But my understanding is that the eye works as a a camera in many ways, that light, uh, what you see basically is a reflection of light off of objects, and that the light, thank you, Linda, uh, the light passes through our cornea, and it hits the uh, pupil, as it goes through the pupil, now, the, the, you know, the pupil can get bigger or smaller <laughs> according to how much light is needed. And the iris, the colored part of your eye, determines that. As the light goes through, through that, it, it hits the lens. Now, the lens kind of focuses those, those light rays and then sends them on through uh, some jelly-like substance, I think called vitreous, and then it hits the retina. My understanding is when it hits the retina, the, the picture that's there is upside down, backwards, and two-dimensional. But the retina has got some light-sensitive cells on it, cones and rods, that connect to the optical nerve and that take the picture to your brain. And your, your brain ref- turns this thing upside right. It, it, it makes it in 3D and allows you to see what you can see. Now, if in fact, with all the array of colors and movement and everything else, if that happened just once, that'd be a miracle, wouldn't it? But that goes on all the time. Your eye is continually doing that. What an amazing thing. Now, we live in a fallen world, and there are things that transpire, accidents and disease, and if, for whatever reason, you're, you have your vision impaired, that can be a problem sometime. I probably need to go back to the eye doctor. My vision is not what it, it, it was anymore. And I don't know if I can get thicker lenses yet. But if, in fact, you are... Uh, I was going to... Uh, by the way, if you're an optometrist, that, that, that test where they blow air into your eye, you've got to fix that one, okay? Because that, that scares me. I'd really go to the dentist. Uh, <laughs> but if you're vision impaired, that can be dangerous, can't it? Uh, when I was in Cincinnati, uh, I had to go to, to church. I passed a, a vision rehabilitation center on a regular basis. This is for adults that just acquired their blindness, one way or the other, accidents, disease. And they were trying to train them. And so you had to go through slowly, drive through slowly. And it, was, it, was, uh, it made me very grateful because you'd see people out with their canes trying to learn how to cope. And they would walk out in traffic. They were trying to cross the street. Sometimes they were getting disoriented. They're walking around in the middle of the street. Uh, if you're vision impaired, it can be very dangerous. If you're watching the news this week. You know, there was a, a man and his two sons from Illinois. They were down in southern Missouri. They were hiking the Ozark Trail. He'd been through it before. But it started raining. It got dark quicker than he anticipated. And even though he knew the path, because he couldn't see he missed the path that led off to his lodge. He and his boys went the other direction. They died in the woods, hypothermia. Uh, if you are vision impaired, you can't see. It is straight up dangerous. Um, it, how many accidents have we, have, you, have we been into because we didn't see that car? It was in our blind spot. or We didn't see the stop sign. We didn't see that thing we tripped over. How many of us maybe have gotten in trouble because we didn't see that policeman? You know? Uh, <laughs> There was one point when I got sick, my eyes went double. I could see twice as good as anybody else. Uh, There's a different form of impairment, but it's dangerous. Vision impairment is dangerous. If you are an umpire and you can't see, you're going to get a lot of people upset. Justice will not be done. 
If you are a pilot and you can't see, a lot of people can get hurt. If you are a surgeon and can't see, I hope your malpractice insurance is paid up. If, in fact, what, if vision impairment is a dangerous, dangerous thing, as our physical body, so the church. And so what we decided to do is for these first three weeks in January, this is part three of a three-part series, we're going to be looking at the vision of the church. Now, that's a kind of a buzzword out there today, vision. Um, it really is just what we've explained. It's the ability to see as a body where God wants us to go and to get there. That's, that's what, what it is. If you can't see where he wants you to go, you may have a good time wandering in the desert, going in circles, maybe build some nice relationships and have some nice dinners along the way with it. But you're never going to get to where you're supposed to be. If you do, it's going to be an accident and it's going to take you a lot longer. It's going to cost you a lot more. And it's going to hurt a lot more than what you wanted it to do and what needed to be. And so we want to look at the, the vision of the church. You notice last week we talked about when the church first started on its birthday. There were no task force, there were no boards, there were no doctrinal statements. But the early church decided they would be devoted to two things. Apostles teaching and togetherness. Uh, fellowship is what your Bible might say. They were going to be committed to uh, being with God, God's word, and being with his people. They were committed to submitting themselves to God and submitting themselves to each other. Uh, then, two weeks ago, we looked at the last words Jesus had here on earth. Remember, he called his apostles on the mountain. He's like, okay, guys, guys, get together. Look here, 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 here. Peter, Peter, Peter. Eyes, eyes. Look at me. All right, James, John, quit fighting. This is important, guys. I'm getting ready to leave. And when I go, this is what you got to do. You need to go into all the world and make disciples. Listen, listen, listen. There's no plan B here, man. I'm, I'm trusting you to do this. That's huge. That's for us. We need to make disciples. That's our, our mission. There are two sides to it, as Jesus would elaborate. The first part was baptizing. And that's, again, synonymous with salvation. Uh, second aspect. Again, you're not saved because you're baptized. Make sure we're clear on that. <clears throat> Early church especially. Once you came to know Christ, you, you, were, you, you were baptized. And then, secondly, it's teaching them to do all things. Now, this is our mission statement for our church. We have that on the we have that on board, our mission statement for our church. Is it on the screen? Next one. Yeah, there we go. Transforming Erie by introducing people to a transformational relationship with Jesus. Can you say that with me? Transforming Erie by introducing people to a transformational relationship with Jesus. This is our goal. It's really the Great Commission. We just changed the verbiage a little bit. But, but the goal is, I hope you see this, we're looking for people with a transformational relationship with Jesus. Not folk just to raise their hand or to, or to cross the line or, or to sign the card or to come forward. The goal is, is we want them to come to know him and we want the teaching aspect. They have to grow. There has to be a transformation in their life. Now, the, the difficulty with this is that John 3 lets us know that this new birth is a spiritual birth. The Spirit does it. We can't control that. The Spirit does it. And this growth that happens, Galatians 5 lets us know, Romans 8 lets us know, it's a spiritual growth. Now, sometimes we, we see the, the birth part, and we go, ah, okay, we're going to let Holy Spirit deal with that one. Yes, they get saved, they get saved. But we think we can control the growth part. And so we run them through the program, we give them the gauntlet, we sign them up for the program, so we have them do all this stuff. And they do it for a while, and then they lose heart, and they lose interest, and they fall off. And we go, what happened? Is it po- I think it's possible that there was really never any spiritual growth. They just signed up for our program. Now, it's, 
Those things are important. But we just have to keep in mind that spiritual growth is a spiritual thing. Uh, But still, it doesn't mean we can all take a vacation. Still, God gave us the command. Make disciples, bringing people to him and teaching them in the spiritual growth part. So what are we supposed to do? A a, a picture that has helped me is this idea that we need to be about creating spiritual greenhouses. We have that on the slide. So yeah, there we go. Don't you love that greenhouse? If you know anything about greenhouses, then you know that even if the weather outside is frightful, right, and it's just cold and snow is blowing and it's awful, and there's no growth coming up, there's no no, no, uh, leaves on the tree, there's no plants blooming, it's just that the environment is not optimal for growth. Growth will not happen in that environment. In the greenhouse. See, in the greenhouse, you don't make things grow. You can't control life. You're not Frankenstein. But what you can do is you can control the environment. You can control the temperature. You can control the moisture. You can control the fertilizer. You can, you can make an environment that is optimal for growth. Um, and you know that there's no such, such thing as your, if you're a horticulturalist at all. You know there's no such thing as generic greenhouse. That s- different plants require different things, right? Some plants have lot, need lots of sunshine. Others, if you give them that much sunshine, it'll kill them. They're shade-loving plants. Some plants need lots and lots of water. Others, you'll you'll kill it. You'll drown it if you give it that kind of water. Some of them are susceptible to uh, insects or fungus, and and they need a special herbicide and stuff, but you put on these over here, and it will kill them. And so our goal here is to create greenhouses that are optimal environment for growth, that the Spirit might do what He needs to do. And so there are are several. If you... When you leave in the information rack, there's a vision brochure that you can grab that will outline it a little bit further. But our goal is to make several greenhouses here. It's not the only thing we're going to do, but it's like mission critical stuff. One is Sunday morning. We, we realize some metro areas, you know, people will, they're, they're adverse to coming to church. The church has got such a bad name, such a bad taste in their mouth. You invite them to the church, no way, they're not going. Um, but eerie, for the most part, we are a traditional community. There is still a traditional uh, religious value system here in many ways. And they would be open. So we're looking not for performance, but to do the absolute best we can. I believe true worship is attractive. It's what we were created for. I believe God's word that goes forth clear is attractive. It's what we were created for. So we want to create a greenhouse there. We want to create a greenhouse of, of small groups, like lots of little greenhouses all over Erie where people can grow in the context of, of community and then come to know them in that regard. We want to create a, a greenhouse for youth. You need to know, if you don't have teenagers, that the culture out there is winter time. There is not optimal for growth in any way, shape, or form. The culture is antagonistic. Hell's done a very good job as far as building a greenhouse to get what it wants. And our teenagers are living in that. The teenagers in Erie are living in that. So we need to develop a, 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 a spiritual uh, greenhouse for our teenagers. We need to create one for seniors. You know that Erie has 123% of the national average of people who claim to be in the senior lifestyle category. I'm not sure why necessarily. However, we need to know that this is part of our harvest field. We can't neglect this. We need to focus, make sure that, that, that we build a, a spiritual greenhouse for seniors here. We, we need to make sure when we're done with all that, not even when we're done with all that, we're doing this now, but that we're not interested in just transforming Erie. We're going to take what Jesus said literally. We're going to, we're going to try to transform the world. 
with this, with this message. Now, there's one other greenhouse that I didn't mention that I want to focus on a little bit this morning. And that is a, a spiritual greenhouse for children. Now, I don't know what you think about children. Maybe you think I'm glad they're out of my house. Uh, maybe you're thinking I hate kids. You know, I know Nathan was, was back in Appleton. He was walking our dog. He had to be 11. Neighbor uh, right behind us. Didn't see us a whole lot. And, but Nathan was walking and the man was out. And so Nathan says, hey, do you want to pet my dog? The guy looked down at the dog. He's a golden retriever. He wouldn't hurt anybody. And he looks at Nathan. He said, I don't like dogs. And I don't like little boys. Nathan, much more sanctified than I, just kept going. I probably was like, yeah, I don't like grumpy old men either. You know, Nathan was great. <laughs> so I don't know what you think about children. They're, they should be seen, not heard. Um, they're just, you know, they're, they're a waste of time. I don't know what you think. But, but what we want to do, remember, as we build here, we want to build according to what God thinks, not what we think, right? All right, so, so what, does, what, does, what does God think about children? What's the first text we have up here? Matthew 18. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a huge millstone hung around his neck and drowned into the depths of the sea. First of all, Jesus is associating himself with the kids. How you treat the kids, you treat me. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? And then he says, you mess with the kids. I'm coming after you. <laughs> I'm telling you, you don't want to mess with you want to you want to treat children the way he does, because throughout Scripture his heart is there. Matthew nineteen says, then the little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. We don't have time for kids. And Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Next verse. Sons are a heritage from the Lord, children a reward from him. Children are not a curse. When God was thinking, how can I reward? What is the, the most precious reward I can, I can come up with? God can come up with. It's children. People, little people who bear his image. How, amazing. Next verse. And this one is fascinating. This is Ezekiel. Israel is into some idolatry right now. <laughs> not a good thing. And they are sacrificing their children. Uh, to foreign gods. And God says, And you took your sons and daughters whom you bore to me and sacrificed them as food to the idols. Was your prostitution not enough? That's spiritual prostitution. You slaughtered my children and sacrificed them to the idols. These kids that are running around, they're not your kids. They're my kids. You better be careful what you do with my kids is God's perspective. So next, James one twenty-seven. He says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. This is what God thinks religion ought to be. To look after orphans and widows in their distress. To keep oneself from being polluted by the world. <laughs> this is all over the Old Testament. Deuteronomy. Next verse. Jesse defends the cause of the fatherless. He cares for children. It's not, we don't have the, the text, but Psalm 68, I believe he says that he will be a father to the fatherless. Now, why? A couple of reasons. First of all, children are very vulnerable. This is probably, if you look at scripture, this is probably the greatest sin that God is, upsets God, it seems in scripture, is when somebody who's got power and authority and size hurts somebody who's smaller or weaker or more trusting or more vulnerable. Oh, that makes God very, 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 very mad. 
when they don't use their power for this person. Uh, the power, he would tell us, has been given to us so that, not that we can use it for ourselves, but so that we might use it for these people. This is why he has given to us. I think there's a second reason why God's heart is for children. I, I, I think that because of the fact that they are impressionable. Oh, there's a quote that's out there that was attributed to Adolf Hitler. I don't know if, if Hitler actually said it or not. But he said, give me a child for the first four years of his life, and I'll have him for the rest of his life. When a child is, is young, it's an incredible opportunity to pour in. Godliness does not happen when they're 18 or when they're 25. I mean, it can, but, but, but primarily this is where you start. And I know people say, well, that's brainwashing. I don't want to do that to my children. News article this week even, front page, CNN says, you know what? I, I, I am going to raise my children without God. That way when they get older, they can choose if they want God or not. Well, you know, that's a bunch of malarkey. That's, that's ludicrous. Can you imagine saying, well, I'm going to raise my children without manners. And then when they get older, if they want manners or don't want them, let them do that. And I'm going to raise my kids. I'm not going to care what they eat. See, and then when they get older, they can choose. They want junk food or health. Let them do that. I'm going to raise my kids with no care for school. They don't have to go to school. They don't want to. Uh, I don't want to force that on. And then when they get older, they can choose. If they, I mean, you, you, you will be discipling, pagan or Christian or secular. You will be discipling your child one way or the other. You cannot not instill values of some sort. There is no such thing. And so God knows that these guys are going to make it through the culture and society if they are going to be fly as high as they could. You know what? To start when they're so young to pour in and to disciple is just huge. Now, let me tell you a couple of facts about Erie, where we're at. About 280,000 people in the metro area by, I think, straight up, Estimates: 240,000 of them are not necessarily unchurched as much as they are straight up not believers in Christ. According to Percept uh, Demographics, we have about 50,000 people aged 0 to 14 within 30 minutes of this church. According to many, many studies... 80% of those who accept Christ do it before they're 14. In other words, if you wait till after you're 14, probability is that you're just never going to accept Christ. You're just not going to do it. That's our mission field. We have to build a, a spiritual greenhouse for children. We just have to. You, kids may be gone, but as a corporate body, our, we have a lot of kids here. We've got a lot of kids who aren't in this, this building yet who need to be here. We have to, to, to build this spiritual greenhouse. Now, Jelana and her team are doing great. And just so you know, Awana uh, is flying. Sunday school is flying. Upwards flying. If this week, just this week, is a typical week in this season, we will have, conservatively speaking, over seven hundred students and leaders here this week for our FAC Kids program. I mean, that's incredible. Isn't that incredible? <laughs> and by the way, this is a parenthetical comment. Uh, the greenhouse is, is getting built and the workers inside it are running crazy and could sure use some people to help out. So if in fact, wouldn't it be great if Jelana's inbox got bombed out this week by people emailing her saying, listen, I do this. Can you use me in the children's greenhouse? I want to do what I can to help. Or I'm not sure what I can do. How can you use me? I want to make myself available. If in fact you're thinking they could use some laborers in that harvest field, um, it's beyond just praying for it. It's stepping up and doing it. Um, 
So, so we've got that going on. Now, now here's, here's the, 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 there's a danger with that, though, and that's this. If you are a parent of, of children in your home, hear me for just a moment on this one. Because I went, I went back, when I was in Cincinnati, one of the reasons I went back to Appleton was because I knew Appleton, one of the, one of the, the things that they had going is they had, an, I thought, an incredible spiritual greenhouse for kids. And I was feeling it as a parent. Man, I could share you some help here. And I wanted my kids to be a part of that program, be a part of that, that mentoring, that, that intentional, not babysitting stuff, but being intentional as far as discipling these guys according to their age and according to where they're at physically. I wanted that. And my kids are, are, are a product of that. I was so grateful for, for, for that. But the, the danger is this. You can lean into that too much. You can delegate the spiritual responsibility for your children to the church. That's not God's plan. So I want you to <clears throat> turn with me if you've got your Bibles. Deuteronomy chapter 6. While you're turning, let me give you just a little background. <clears throat> 500 years before this, right here, Deuteronomy 6, uh, Israel's like 70 people. And you know what their Bible looks like at this point? 70 people? It looks like this. There's there's not a single verse written down. They've got nothing other than God, Jehovah God, came to Abraham and made some promises. That's all they got. Then they're hanging out in, in, in Egypt for 400 plus years. And you know what their Bible looks like the whole time they're hanging out in Egypt? They've got not a single verse. All they've got is God, Jehovah, appeared to our great-great-great-great-grandfather Abraham a long time ago and made these promises. That's it. Easy to memorize the Bible at that point. (laughs) Then God pulls his people out of Egypt, stops off at the Mount Sinai Wilderness Retreat and Conference Center, and God himself is the speaker. God, God, first time he spoke to all of his people. First time ever. And he gives... His word to them. First five books of of the Bible. There and probably continue to be written while they were in their wilderness wanderings. But God gives his laws. He gives his judgments. He gives his holidays. He gives his org chart. He lets them know how they're supposed to do life. They had never had this before. He gives them an identity. They're people. And one of the things he gives them there is the blueprints for the tabernacle. Tabernacle is kind of like a church on wheels. It's kind of like a, a church, but there was only one of them. And it's where you would go and you would make a sacrifice for your sins. You would have atonement. It's where you could meet with God. And when you were there, what would happen is the priest would pull out a scroll, word of God, and read and teach. Everybody didn't get a copy. Moses comes off the mountain. He's got two stone tablets. Everybody didn't get two stone tablets. Take these home. We all got one. The the, the rest of the word was written probably on animal skins. Everybody didn't get a copy. First of all, they didn't have enough ink. They didn't have enough animal skins. People couldn't read anyway, so it really didn't matter. So when you wanted the word of God, you're over here. God's word is over here. The bridge that tied them together was their tabernacle. That's where you went to hear God's word. And so if you're a parent and you've got kids coming around, what are you thinking? You're thinking, oh, well, there's me over here and the word of God and the, and the tabernacle bridges the two. So I'm guessing the tabernacle will bridge them between my kids and the word of God. I'm just going to drag my kids to the tabernacle and maybe they'll have a, a, a tab kids Sunday school or something or some sort of a wand or deal going on. And I'm going to let the tabernacle mesh my kids in God's word and bring them together. That's right. And God says, oh, no, 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 no. No, we're not going to do it that way. Deuteronomy chapter 6. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts and press them 
on your children. And you might say, whoa, 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 hang on, hang on, hang on. <clears throat> That's Old Testament. You see, they only had one kind of church, the tabernacle. So, yeah, you couldn't, everyone couldn't go there. It'd be too big. Okay? But see, today, we've got churches on every corner, man, and there's all kinds. We just, this is easy enough. Mm-mm, Ephesians 6.4, what's he say? It says, fathers, do not exasperate your children, but rather bring them up, right, in the training, the nurture, admonition of the Lord. That's what you're supposed to do. Keep this in mind. These guys might push back and say, well, hang on, I don't even have the Bible. How am I supposed to do this? The guys in Ephesus, they didn't have a Bible either. You need to keep in mind, the guys in Ephesus were first-generation Christians. They never saw it done. They had a lot of baggage and scars. They still had some pagan worship stuff going on from the past. Yet God still said, no, no, no. No, it's not the tabernacle. It's not the synagogue. It's not the church's job here. Parents, it's your job. The FAC kids thing, that will supplement, that will assist you, that will be a wonderful help to you, but it's not their job. You better be about constructing and building a spiritual greenhouse in your own home because if you try to just push it off here, it's just not going to work. It's not going to work. You might say, well, okay, but how do you do that? We think, see, if we, if we have the right program, see, we got the right curriculum and the right book and the right, right group, and see, we can push our kids into that, then somehow it'll, it'll work. Uh, but there's a piece that you have to have when you build a spiritual greenhouse. You have to have this, because if you don't, everything else is going to go kaput. Everything else, the best you can hope for if you don't have this piece is, is to disciple and produce hypocrites. You've got to have this peace, and that's what you see in verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. If you are going to connect your kids to God in his word, guess what? You have to be connected to God and his word. This is not a purely academic sort of deal. This starts with you being in love with God. That's kind of a huge deal, isn't it? As we unpack these words, I think this is fascinating. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. The heart is, uh, in the Hebrew mindset, it was not just your, your feelings and emotions, and it did incorporate that, but it was also your, your decision-making capacity. It was where you th- what you thought on it, how you meditated it. It was the essence of who you were in many ways. That word in and of itself is, is all-inclusive, all-inclusive, everything. And if he would have just said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, that would mean Everything you are. They would have got that. But he doesn't stop there, does he? He goes on. He keeps adding to it. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Now, let me give you just a... a, We want to be real careful about trying to dig too many different nuances between these words as if they're radically different words. A lot lot of them are just overlapping. I think he's just piling this stuff on for effect here. But if there is a difference, soul might be your personality. It might be who you are down in the depths. But Moses, these two words together, what it can, I mean, obviously, everything. There's nothing else. There's no, no inch that's left untalked about with those two words. But Moses, he keeps going, doesn't he? He says, oh, Lord, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Strength, interesting word. It's an adverb. The only way it's ever used in the Old Testament is adverbally. And if you were to translate it according to just what it literally says, it would, say, it would say, and love the Lord your God with all your exceeding muchness. Don't you love that? And with all your exceedingness, with all of your... So what he's saying here, 
is love the Lord your God with absolutely everything you are, nothing, missing everything, and then some, and then multiply it by a thousand. You know, this is what he's saying. You cannot be too obsessed with God. Now, we want to be balanced people. We don't want to be freaky people. We want to be all right with it. He says you cannot. You cannot be too committed to God. You cannot love him too much. Don't worry about it. Matter of fact, strive to. Strive to love him too much. Just see if you can do it. And he goes on and he says, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. It doesn't necessarily mean you're supposed to memorize it, which is not a bad thing. If you have an adult child who's kind of going off the path, that's something on your heart, isn't it? You're thinking about it all the time. Sometimes you'll have to step into a room, close the door, and just cry. You're praying continuously. People who walk by, you're pulling them aside. You're in the middle of a project. You're saying, listen, can you, can you pray with me about this for this? When it's on your heart, it's controlling who you are, what you're about. You see, these commandments, they're to control you. It's not just Sunday. It's not the Bible study. It's all the time. So it's just there. It's who you are. It's what you're about. And he says, impress them on your children. I'd like you to say, well, I'm not a good teacher. That's okay. It's okay. See, he doesn't use the word teach. He could. There's a Hebrew word for teach. He doesn't use that word. He just says impress. Now, how do you impress? If you love God with everything you've got and then some, and you are pursuing him and his word is controlling your life, I'm pretty sure that's going to leave an impression on your children. They'll see that and they will, they will, they will know. He says that talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. If you follow all that, it's basically talk about it all the time. You know, there's just something about the spoken word, isn't it? We like to be private in our faith and in our culture. Say, oh, private. You can have your faith. Just keep it to yourself. We just want to be private with it. <laughs> He's not calling us to be obnoxious. But again, there's just something about the spoken word, isn't there? Remember when you were dating, guys especially, and you fell in love. You had to tell her, right? You couldn't just not tell her. You had to tell her. And you want to wait the right time because you get the wrong time in on this thing, it'll blow everything, right? So you got to get the right time, but, but it's kind of, it's just being, it has to come out. And finally, I love you. And it's almost like a release. It's an, oh, there, I said it. Remember, you're, you're making, you're making a, a decision. And you're trying to make a decision. And, and you've got everything on the table and you're still not sure what to do. And it's just eating your lunch in a major way. And finally you decide, this which you say, this is what we're going to do. I remember at one point, years and years, years ago, I was uh, just wore out. In every way you could be wore out. As a pastor, I was just wore out in every way you could be wore out. I was new. I was burned out. The, the senior guy just came to my office and chewed me out. And I just got up and closed and locked my door and sat down. And I had to say this. Couldn't just think it. I said it out loud, though. I hate this. I hate ministry. See, you had to say it. Somehow that was therapeutic. For me, uh, there's something about the spoken word that, that, that as we speak, when we do a wedding, we don't let them just think it. We make them say it. Say, I promise to love and honor and cherish you in sickness and in health, uh, for richer or poorer, you know, until death do we part, uh, taking you and you alone for better or worse. 
There's just something about saying it that drives it down a little bit deeper. He says, talk about this. Notice he doesn't say, talk about it to your children. Because if you only talk about spiritual things when your kids are around, they're going to see through that in a second. Again, you're working on the hypocrisy thing. He doesn't even say talk about it to the children. He says impress the children. You're going to talk about it wherever you go in life. And as you do, your kids will recognize. They'll catch you talking about it when you don't think they're listening. And that will make a huge impression. He says tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Jewish people, Reformed Jew, uh, Orthodox Jewish people today. They'll have a phylactery, they call it. little leather pouch headband, they'll tie it on. And they'll put a piece of God's word in it. Right here, this text, they'll put in it. And we might look at that and go, oh, that's kind of a wooden interpretation. But you know, here's the idea, though. What they're saying, what they're supposed to be saying, is, is recognizing that almost all the information I gather is going to come through my, my, my head. Almost all the information that goes out is going to come through my head. Therefore... I'm not letting anything in through my eyes. Nothing that is against the word of God. Nothing is coming out my mouth that doesn't honor the word of God. Nothing. I'm going to stop my ears to anything that is against the word of God. Anything I think on. You know what I'm going to think on? It's just going to be the word of God. Now this is important because we're not talking about just thinking about some sexual fantasy thing here. It's easy enough for, for us to discern. But negative stuff, lack of faith stuff, bitterness stuff, woe is me, I'm just a victim type stuff. Things that do not honor the word of God, that do not trust his sovereignty stuff. He said, they say, I'm, I'm not, that's not going to be in my mind. I'm not going to let it be there. They tie the phylacteries on their hands and they put in the pouch some of God's word right here, this text in. Now you can imagine how that might change your life. Some guy cuts you off in traffic and you're, and then you'll see the phylactery. Oh, <laughs> you better not do that. Or you're on the computer, okay, and you're starting to type the wrong thing, and you notice the phylactery right there. And, oh, man. Or you're on the TV, and you're, you've got the remote going, and you see the, the phylactery. Oh, I can't do that either. Uh, what they're saying with that is all of my energy, everything I do is going to be governed by the Word of God. God's Word is not just a, a Saturday or Sunday or Bible study thing. It's, it's my whole life, all of my energy. All of it is governed by the Word of God. It says that they're to write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. Uh, the Orthodox Jewish folk have a mozazot, and I think there are other um, traditions in the Jewish faith that have that as well, where God's Word is supposed to be in it. Whenever they go into their house, they touch the mezuzot. It's not superstitious thing, not supposed to be. What the goal is, is again the reminder that these, these walls of my home, everything that transpires within it is going to honor God's word. If you think for just a moment, if you were, no, y'all don't, but if you were to sin, where would you sin the most? Mm, home, yeah, yeah. Some folks no, no right off. Oh, yeah, it's home. No question about it. You've got a fallen uh, person who's perhaps tired and maybe they're sick and maybe they've had a bad day. And they're just a little grumpy. And then there's another person in the house who's fallen and sick and had a bad day and a little bit grumpy. You have these guys cross paths. And what happens? You know what happens. Somehow when we walk in the house, you know what happens? We, put, we lay the facade on the outside. We walk in. Some, for whatever reason, we think maybe we put down, lay our self-discipline, lay the kindness aside, lay, and we just come in kind of raw. All kinds of stuff between computer stuff. Between, all kinds of stuff can go goofy in the house, sinful. And the mezuzot is to remind them everything that goes on in this house is going to honor God's word. Or it's just not going to happen in this house. I think we need a mezuzot on our, on our computer monitors, don't we? 
We need a mezuzot on our TV screens. We need a mezuzot on the refrigerator sometimes, don't we? Everything that transpires in this house is going to honor the word of God. It says, tie them to the, the, the gates. Write them on your gates. Well, most houses did not have gates. They didn't have a yard. You know, it's walled city. You open the front door and you're in the street, which is just a few feet before the, the next house was. They're right next to each other. They didn't have it. Probably referring to the gates of the city, the, the, the walls of the city. At, those, at the gates of the city, you know, that's where the mayor's got his office. That's where the, the city council meets. If you want anything notarized, you know where you're going to go? You're going to go to the gates. If you want anything legally drawn up, you're going to go to the gates. That's where the lawyers hang out. You're going to go to the gates to do your business. And what they're saying is, of course, it's when you leave the house and you find yourself in the marketplace, as it were, doing whatever industry thing you're doing, you've got to do it according to the Word of God. It's just got to be there. I mean, he is hammering this over and over again. Wherever you, you sit and you walk and you lie down, you, whatever, you're going to talk about it. And you're going to love him with every muchness you can. And wherever you go, in your head, in your hands, in your strength, in your energy, and in the house and out of the house, you're going to love him and be committed to him. That's what he's driving in. He's saying, if you do those things, you know what? That's how you impress your children. Say, all right. <clears throat> but it's going to take me a little bit of time. What do I do if my kids push back? Not that teenagers would ever do that, but let's just assume that they might push back and they might say, why are we doing this again? Do I have to do this? Why can't I just wear this? Mom and Dad, why can't I? I mean, everyone else is wearing this. I mean, the pastor's kids are wearing this. Why can't I wear this? You know, why can't I just buy one of those? Everyone else would buy one of those. It's not a bad thing. I know it's rated triple R, but it's not a bad. That's just for these 32 scenes. It's okay. You know, and why can't I go here? And why can't I do that? And why can't I say the other thing? Why are we doing this again? <clears throat> Moses knows that's going to come up. Verse 20. He says, in the future... When your son asks you, not if he does, but right, when he does, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God is commanding you? He's not asking, give me a little more clarity on these things. He's asking, why do we got to do these things again, these dumb, stupid rules? Why do we got to do these things? And we know the answer, right? <clears throat> because I said so. I'm the bear, right? Or if we're going to be spiritual about it, because God says so, right? <clears throat> if we answer that way, There's a good possibility when they get older that they're going to answer back the same way Pharaoh did to Moses when he said, who is your God that I should obey him? God says, don't don't answer that way. Don't, Don't do that. This is how I want you to answer. It says, tell him, verse 21, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent miraculous signs and wonders, great and terrible, upon Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land that he promised on oath to our forefathers. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive, as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God as he has commanded us, they will be our righteousness. Do you see what he's saying? The answer is not the latest apologetic argument, which I'm okay with that. That's, that's, we need that. But that's not the answer here. The answer is personal testimony. Saying, listen, you've got to be age sensitive. You've got to use some discernment, of course. But there was a time when I thought all this stuff was fun too. And I bought it. 
And it was, was, was okay fun for a real short time. But no one told me the scars that it gives you. I'm still paying the price today for some of those fun things. I'm not trying to destroy your life. I'm just telling you, I have been there. And, I, and, and the worm to a, a fish might look nice, but I'm just telling you, there's a hook inside it. I'm just trying to point that out for you. There was a time in my life when I got into all this stuff, and I'd always heard about God, but I, I, I didn't know, and then someone shared with me, and I realized, you know what? He does love me. This is why Jesus came 2,000 years ago, to take all those things that are things that really just separate me from him. He died for those things, so I might have a relationship with him. So when he invited me to be in his household, you know what? I couldn't say no. I didn't want to say no. I wanted to be a part of it. And God's household is kind of like our household. He's got some rules. And I can't tell you that I understand the purpose behind all the rules. But I do know this. I trust him. He's proven that to me over and over and over again over the years. And I trust him with these things that he's told us to do. And if we we, we do them, he's going to bless us. Now, your kid may not buy that. But that's a whole lot better. It gives him a lot more to think about, doesn't it, than because God said so. This is, this is where we're supposed to go when they, when they push back. Because they will. It's, it's, we're, we're, we're training them. Again, you might say, okay, I, I, I want to be connected to God. I want to be... <clears throat> but I'm not sure how I can grow in that. Let me just point two things out. There's a myriad of ways. But let me just point two things out. Just because they're available today. One is, is the Old Testament challenge. We just need to be in God's word. And if you've got something else going on, do it. That's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. But you can pick one up at the info booth if, if, you're, if you're interested. It just helps us to be in his word. It's how he transforms us. If we're going to transform others, we have to be transformed. A second aspect, second thing you can do is to join a, a life group where they're going to be dissecting God's word and talking about his word and praying with each other in support. They're messy and people are messy. You are and I am. And they will be in the group too. But it's doing that which he's called us to do. I, I think I've shared before about my, my father. My dad uh, did not graduate from high school. My dad was from a very dysfunctional, very, very poor uh, house. He was the oldest of like 10 kids. And he uh, was always had, he felt very insecure about that. My dad had his idiosyncrasies, no question about it. My mom would go to church. My dad would sleep in. My dad would come home from work. He would be smoking and watching three or four hours of television and uh, would, go, would leave his, his lazy boy when he wanted to go to the uh, track and bet on the ponies or when he wanted to uh, uh, play some poker with his friends. <clears throat> this was his life. He wasn't a bad dad. He didn't beat us or anything, but he just was not into God. And then through a miraculous story, maybe I can tell you about it sometime, he came to know Christ, and my dad did a 180. Suddenly my dad is taking us to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, like all the time. I wasn't so sure I liked this part a whole lot. Um, my dad would come home from work and sit in his lazy boy, but he would read the Bible for three or four hours. He would go through the Bible twice a year. My dad, non-academic dad, uh, would be listening to these radio preachers ordering theology books and, and devouring these. I don't know if my dad ever sat down and taught but what I remember is a little boy sitting in the back seat of the car while my dad is in the front seat with his non-Christian friend and I'm listening as my dad turns the conversation towards the things of God. I know what my dad's doing. And as he shares the gospel with this guy, it impressed me incredibly. My dad served in Awana. 
and my dad, who was very, very reclusive and very, very uh, afraid of people, was, was sharing with other people and was caring for others other than himself. And I'm watching this, and it's, it's changing me. You, you don't have to be a, a Ph.D. You don't have to have a gift of teaching. All you need to do is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your muchness, all your strength. And that will impress on your kids. Listen, we need to build a spiritual greenhouse here. It's happening right now. It's being built for our kids. We need, we need to be about that. That's huge. But we can't forget that at home we need to be building. Now, let me just say one last thing. Often when we talk about this kind of thing, I know there are people in the congregation who are discouraged because their kids are gone. And they might say, oh, I blew it. I dropped the ball. <clears throat> two groups. Parents, all parents. All parents fall into two groups. Those who are guilty and those who will be guilty, <laughs> feel guilty. <clears throat> because we all, we all, we all, we all drop the ball. We just all do. God's grace, God's power, of course, can overcome such things. But if you have kids at home today, I think that anybody who doesn't have kids there anymore would tell you the most important thing you can do is impress on your kids. Know your God. Don't worry about searching the curriculum per se, but know Him. And you'll impress your kids. Listen, if you're single or if you're a little kid here today, you're saying, this message doesn't apply to me because I am a little kid. Other than maybe I'll get a cool spiritual greenhouse here. If you can start now loving Him and pouring into Him, that's the absolute greatest thing you will do for your children one day. Don't wait till you get to that point. to try. You're going to be lost. Start now growing and you'll be prepared for that point. So we want to build the spiritual greenhouse here. We need to. And we need to build the spiritual greenhouse for our kids at our homes as well.